Well, good morning, everyone. Want to welcome everyone to Orchard Church this morning. Take out your Bibles or your mobile devices, whichever you choose to use this morning. Turn to the Old Testament book of Daniel. It's in the second half of your Old Testament. Daniel chapter 4, verse 10 is the passage where we will begin today. We are in week two of our summer series for the next few weeks called Taking a Stand. We're looking at the Old Testament story of a man named Daniel. Four specific times in his life that he took a stand for God, he honored God, and he changed literally the course of history and how we can learn from him taking a stand and apply that to our lives to honor God for God's honor and and for our good in our lives. Last week, um, if you weren't here, I know this is summertime and vacation time. People are coming and going, but you can always keep up with the messages and the series even when you're away. Uh, Go to our website, orchard.church, our message page. You can watch it. You can listen to it. You can podcast it, and you can always keep up. But let me tell you where we launched the series last week. We watched in chapter one as Daniel and some of his friends. A lot of the Hebrew uh, teenagers and people were taken captive by the Babylonians, but even as a teenager, Daniel took a stand and he stood out for God, for the right things at the right time, for the right reasons, and we talked about how we can do that in our lives as well. Next week, we're going to look at probably the most famous story of Daniel in the Bible, Daniel and the lion's den, and we're going to watch as Daniel is going to stand for what is right, and God is going to protect him and and watch over him in that way. You don't want to miss that, and then we're going to wrap up with the series, and we're going to watch Daniel is going to stand in faith and just like we sang about that we are children of God if we know Jesus is our Lord and Savior God always has his kids back you believe that church and so we're going to watch that in the last week it's going to be super encouraging to you Uh, today we're calling this one stand up let's say that together stand up don't stand up that's just the name of the series okay or the name of the message today we're talking about uh, standing up um, at the right time when God would prompt us to confront someone in a loving gentle way to help them get back on the right track with God that's what Daniel's going to do today he's going to be prompted by God to stand up to of all people the king of Babylon King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, this evil, pagan, wicked king that worshiped false gods and and idols, and Daniel's going to be prompted to stand up to him. This is a king that could have him thrown in prison, could have him beheaded if he just didn't even like the way somebody looked at him wrong or frowned at him. But Daniel's going to stand up to him because he loves him, he cares about the king, respects the king, and he wants to help the king get back into a right relationship with God. What does that have to do with all of us today? Some of you are already kind of interested in this. Maybe you're a little bit nervous. I believe with all my heart as Christ followers, there's times in our lives that there's someone we love and we care about that God wants us to stand up to, to help them get back into a right relationship with God because we love them and we care about them that much. And so I'm going to tell you, this is the most difficult of all four weeks in this series. Some of you are going to get really nervous about talking about uh, having a crucial conversation with somebody, confronting somebody you love and care about. Some of you are going to get really excited. You're going to be like, yeah, bring it on, because I kind of like to confront people. Let's just take a poll this morning uh, by a show of hands. Don't be shy. How many of you would say that you're, you're more non-confrontational when it comes to having crucial conversations? You, you, they scare you. You don't look forward to them. Raise your hand up nice and high, nice and high. Okay, if you're sitting next to someone that's non-confrontational, help them raise their hand because they're a little nervous, because that might be, you know, confrontational to do that. Okay, how many of you, like me, I'll participate, um, you, you know, you don't really look forward to it, but you really have no problem uh, confronting 
parenting, having a crucial conversation when it's necessary. You're like, bring it on. Raise your hands up nice and high. Come on. Those that don't mind that. Some of you are like, yes, two hands up. That's me. I don't have any problem uh, confronting. These are some of the same people. Uh, they're just waiting for me to say something, you know, uh, that you don't really like or you don't agree with. So you can write me a nasty email or, or write something on the guest card that you've turned into a you know, response card with no name. Did I just say that? I just had to throw that out there. But no, honestly, if, if you don't agree with something, if there's something you want to say, and you want to kind of confront me and send me a hateful uh, email, you're welcome to do that. I'm going to go ahead and just give you my email. You can write this down. Uh, just email that to ryan.dickinson <laughs> at orchard.church. That's our executive pastor here. He'll be happy to field those. He's on vacation today and he's not here. So let's just fill up his email box with those things. But, you know, this, for, for some people, this message is going to be really difficult and uncomfortable. For others, you're going to be like, bring it on. And I want to make sure that nobody hears this message the wrong way on one extreme or the other, especially those of you that kind of like to confront. You kind of look forward to confronting. You're like, bring it on. I'm afraid today, if I'm not careful, it's like I'm giving you a loaded gun and a bottle of whiskey and you're like, come on, I'm going to confront somebody. Okay, that's the wrong spirit in the way to confront. If you're taking notes this morning, and I hope you will, on the back of your newsletter, uh, let me give you two confrontational extremes. I think all of us kind of tend to lean, lean to one side or the other of these two confrontational extremes. The first one is this, that some are unwilling to confront. Some people are unwilling to confront. That's one extreme. And they say things like, you know, hey, it's none of my business. Live and let live. Who am I to judge? Yeah, hey, that's between them and God. And they're unwilling to confront. They're like, I, I don't want to do it. I'll let somebody else do it. Here's the other extreme of confrontation, and that's number two if you're taking notes. Some are unloving when they confront. How I many you know somebody like that? Amen? Okay, don't point to them. Just pray for them. They're, they're unloving when they confront. They're quick to confront, but they do it in an unloving way. Sometimes they do what we'll call drive-by confrontations. You know, kind of like a drive-by shooting. There's, they don't know the context. They don't have a relationship with the other person, but they just kind of, and they just confront. Um, I referred to these people last week as the Facebook police. So there's these two extremes when it comes to crucial conversations that need to happen. One extreme is people that won't stand up for what is right to anyone to help them be right with God. The other extreme is people that are willing and quick to stand up, but they do it in the wrong way. They do it in the wrong spirit. And I believe with all my heart, there is a right way to stand up to people and confront them to help them get right with God. Amen. Two people agree with that. That is so <laughs> encouraging that at least two of you agree. So evidently, we really need this message today because there is a right way and there's a wrong way, but we're going to talk about the right way and we're going to see this in the example of Daniel because there's times in all of our lives that there's people we love and we care about and we see them going down a wrong path. We see them making decisions that could be destructive to them and other people and we want them to be in a right relationship with God. We want God's blessings and best for their life. You know, if you're a parent, a loving parent knows that at times they have to confront their kids in a loving way when they're making bad decisions. Amen, parents? There's times that we have a friend that we love and we care about and we're invested in that relationship and we've built up enough relationship equity in that relationship that we see them making decisions that we know are not good decisions that we may have to lovingly confront that. Uh, maybe it's financial decisions. Maybe it's marriage decisions. It's, it's other things that don't line up with the word of God. It may be that you lovingly have to confront your spouse 
about something, to stand up for your marriage and say, we want a healthy marriage. We want a God-honoring marriage. You know, you can't treat me this way any longer. We need to get some help. It might be somebody in your small group that you've built a relationship with, and you love them and you care about them, but they're making decisions that are not good, and you lovingly talk to them and have a crucial conversation with them about about that. It it might be a family member. You know, I know it's summer and a lot of you are probably going to be with family and you may be going to family reunions. And it seems like in every family, there's that one person that when the family gets together, that they annoy everybody. They're that obnoxious family member. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? You got one of those in your family? And if you're like, we don't really have one of those in our family that I'm aware of, you might be that person, Okay. (laughs) Somebody maybe needs to talk to you. (laughs) But times that we lovingly confront, and sometimes there's someone, it might be a friend, it might be a family member, it might be a coworker, we love them and we care about them so much that they have two cats and they're thinking about getting a third and you lovingly confront them and say, in the name of all that's holy, friends don't let friends have three cats. All right, we'll get to the scriptures now. <laughs> Daniel chapter 4, verse 10. We're going to watch as Daniel is going to lovingly, humbly, gently confront the king to help him. And there's times in our lives that we all have to apply this, these same things. Just to kind of catch you up what's going on in the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel was one of those taken captive by the Babylonians some 500 years ago. Um, the... King of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, went in, he conquered Jerusalem, he destroyed the temple, and he took thousands of the Hebrew people into captivity a thousand miles away from home. We met Daniel last week, if you remember. Daniel was just a teenager. He was 14, 15 years of age, and he was standing out already because of his testimony to the one true great I am Jehovah God that that he worshipped. Well, now you get into chapter 4, believe it or not, uh, Daniel is now 50 years old. He's still living in Babylon in captivity. He's a servant of the king. He actually loves the king, respects and honors the king. And the king is going to have a dream that he needs someone uh, to interpret. As I said, Daniel's about 50 years of age at this time. And so being that Daniel is 50, I'm sure that he was in the prime of his life. He was very mature. He was very wise. He was very good looking. Somebody just had a 50 birthday this year, so I just felt like saying those things. And uh, the king's going to have this dream. And the king had all these people that would, I guess, interpret dreams from time to time. They were called magicians and astrologers, and most of them worshiped false pagan idols and and gods. And so the king calls for these people to interpret his dream, and, and the Bible says that nobody could interpret it. Nobody could interpret it, and, and then he finally calls Daniel in. And as I was studying this to prepare for this message, one of the things I read is some Bible scholars believe that really the proper um, translation of that they could not interpret the dream was that they would not. That many of them understood. As we read this dream, a third grader could understand this dream. But they didn't want to disappoint the king. They didn't want to stand up to the king and tell him what this dream meant because it's not good. Except for Daniel. And he's willing to to do this. So let's pick up uh, this story in Daniel chapter 4 verse 10. And, And first of all, it's King Nebuchadnezzar talking and he's 
telling this dream. He's recounting this dream. And King Nebuchadnezzar says this, while I was laying in my bed, this is what I dreamed. I saw a large tree in the middle of the earth. The tree grew tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves. It was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade and birds nested in its branches. All the world was fed from this tree. This tree was a blessing to everybody. Then as I, as I lay there, uh, dreaming, I saw a messenger, a holy one coming down from where, church? From heaven. The messenger shouted, cut down the tree and lop off its branches, shake off its leaves and scatter its fruit, chase the wild animals from its shade and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump and the roots in the ground, bound with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass. Now watch this. Now let what? Him. Everybody say Him. So now what we're seeing already is that this tree is a picture of a person. It's a hymn. Who do you think this hymn might be? King Nebuchadnezzar, all right? It says, now let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the wild animals among the plants of the field for seven periods of time, which means seven years. Let him have the mind of a wild animal instead of the mind of a human. This is a prophecy that's gonna happen to somebody. For this has been decreed by the messenger. It is commanded by the holy ones so that everyone may know that the most high, the real true God, rules over the kingdoms of the world. Because remember, King Nebuchadnezzar worshipped all kinds of false gods and false idols. He gives them to anyone he chooses, even to the lowliest of people. Belteshazzar, remember last week we learned that Daniel was his Hebrew name connected to the worship of Yahweh. His name has now been changed to a good Babylonian name, Belteshazzar, same guy. Uh, Belteshazzar, Daniel, that was the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now tell me what it means. For none of the wise men of my kingdom can or will do so. But you can tell me because the spirit of the holy gods is, you, is in you. And so you can already see right here the respect that the king has for, for Daniel. And he says, nobody else will tell me. Nobody else could tell me. Please, Daniel, it's down to you. What does this dream mean? And I did a little research this week about dreams. How many of you dream on a regular basis, like several times a week? Raise your hands, okay? How many of you seldom dream? Raise your hands, okay? So about 50-50. About I used to dream all the time, almost every night. Now I rarely dream. I don't know what that means, but it's, something has changed in my dream patterns. But um, I did a little research and found out that people that study dreams um, have tried to interpret the meaning of different dreams, just like you know, King Nebuchadnezzar was asking Daniel, hey, can you interpret my dream? Um, how many of you have ever dreamed like I have that you're falling? You're just falling and falling and falling to describe? They say that if you dream that, you probably have something in your life that you can't control. If you've ever forgotten an exam or an important meeting, and you're like, you wake up and you're like, oh my gosh, I forgot something. And you realize, oh, it's just a dream. You probably have something in your life they say that you're unprepared for. Um, if you ever feel like in your dream that you're stuck and you can't move, you can't get anywhere, they say you probably feel overwhelmed about something in, in your life. If you've, I've never dreamed this one, but they say if you dream that you're in dirty water, um, how many of you ever dreamed that? You're in dirty water? Okay, a couple of you have? Okay, well, I got some bad news for you. They say if you dream you're in dirty water, that means you're about to get really sick. So if you dreamed that last night, you probably should go to the doctor tomorrow. I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news. They say if you dream uh, that you're eating chocolate, that means that you believe you deserve to be rewarded for something which I don't know how to interpret that because I don't really like chocolate, so I guess if I dream I'm eating chocolate, I need to be punished for something. I don't know. But how many of you ever dreamed this? 
In your dream, you dream that you need to go to the bathroom really bad. Have you ever dreamed that? You know what that means? You better get up and go to the bathroom or your dream will be a reality. <laughs> I want to ask if that's ever happened to you or not. Um, if you've ever dreamed that you're naked, they say that means that something in your life is going on that makes you feel very vulnerable. If, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I don't want that imagery in my mind. Um, and if you dream that you're naked with another naked person, I am not even going to tell you what that means in the house of my God this morning. I'm not even going to try to interpret that, what that means. You can just figure that one out. Um, how many of you have ever had your spouse dream a dream and they wake up mad at you because of something they dream? True story. This is a true story about a, a a year ago or so, Shelly woke up one morning and I could tell something was bothering her. And I said, and she seemed mad at me. And I'm like, I haven't even had a chance to mess up today yet. What's going on here? And she, she said, oh, I had this dream last night and it seemed so real. And it just, it's one of those dreams that you wake up mad. And I'm like, well, what was it about? And I said, was it about me? She's like, yeah. And I go, what did I do? She goes, never mind. I don't know what to tell you. And I mean, she's mad at me till like noon. And I finally, I said, you got to tell me, you know, what did you dream? And why are you upset with me about this? True story. She goes, all right, I'll tell you. She goes, I dreamed that you wanted to disciple one-on-one -on -one every week, Christina Aguilera. And in the dream, I got upset about it and you tried to talk me into it, say, what's the big deal? You know, she needs Jesus. I don't know what the problem is. And, she, and I'm like, what? I'm like, I don't even like Christina Aguilera. Now, if it was Carrie Underwood or, you know, no, sorry. <laughs> Isn't it funny, you know, uh, if guys even mention another woman that they might find attractive, you know, the, the wives are like, hey, you know, can't do that. But, you know, they can have their celebrity crush and it's no problem. Uh, you guys need to pray for my wife, Shelly. She has an openly uh, uh, obvious uh, celebrity crush on Keith Urban. She's a big Keith Urban fan. So I just waiting for some ladies to be like, woo, okay. So I don't know what all that has to do with this. Oh yeah, dreams, yeah. So we'll get, we'll get back to the scripture. So anyway, Daniel has this dream, or excuse me, King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and nobody will or can interpret it, so he comes to Daniel. Well, what does Daniel do? How does Daniel respond? Verse 19, you have it right there in your Bible. Let's look at it. Upon hearing this, this dream, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, was overcome for a time, frightened by the meaning of the dream. Then the king said to him, Belteshazzar, don't be alarmed by the dream and what it means. In other words, I want you to tell me. So whenever the king tells this dream to Daniel, Daniel stops in his tracks. He gets real quiet for a while. He understands what the dream means, but he is frightened. He doesn't want to tell the king what this dream means. The king's like, no, it's okay, go, go ahead. Now, Daniel could have done what most of the other magicians and astrologers did. He could have said, well, hey, king, that, man, that's a good one. Never heard of a dream like that. Sorry, I, I can't interpret it. He could have said, hey, I'm 50. I'm retired from dream interpretations. I just play golf and garden now. He, he could have said, you know, King, I think maybe you just ate some bad pizza last night. I don't really know. I believe the spirit of the Lord prompted him and said, you need to interpret this dream. You need to lovingly, humbly, and respectfully stand up to the king and do what is right and help him get back right with God. 
And so, after the king encouraging him to, to tell him, here is how Daniel answered. Belteshazzar replied, I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream would happen to your enemies, my lord, and not to you. Do you see the love? Do you see the respect and the honor? Man, king, this is not good. This is not good news. I hate to be the one to tell you this, but I'm going to stand up to you. I'm going to tell you what this dream means. Um, It's not good. And then he goes on. The tree you saw was growing very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves, was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade, and the birds nested in its branches. He's recounting the dream. That tree, your majesty, is, it's you. It's a picture of you. For you have grown strong and great. Your greatness reaches up to heaven, and your rule to the ends of the earth. Again, you, you hear the encouragement. You hear the honor and respect. Then you saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump and the roots in the ground, bound with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals of the field for seven periods of time or seven years. And he could have stopped there, but now he interprets the dream. This is what the dream means, your majesty, And what the Most High God has declared will happen to my Lord, the King. This is the prophecy. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow, and you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time, seven years will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. But the stump and roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means that you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that heaven rules. When you have learned who's really in charge. It's not you, king. It's the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Now, here's the deal. Daniel could have stopped right there and said, there it is. I interpreted your dream, king. This is what it means. But he takes it a step further. He stands up to the king, and in verse 27, he says this. King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop what, church? Sinning and do what is right. Wow. To the king. Stop sinning and do what is right. That took guts. That took faith. Break from your wicked past, king, and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. You know what what Daniel was saying to King Nebuchadnezzar? I care about you. I love you. I honor you. I respect you. And I want God's best for you. I want God's best for you. He lovingly confronts the king. And there are going to be times in all of our lives, and some of you may be facing a season like this right now. I don't know how this is going to speak to you, but this is going to speak to somebody today. There's somebody you know in your life you need to lovingly confront in the right way, at the right time, for the right reasons. It might be a spouse. It might be one of your kids. It might be a friend. It might be another Christian that you know, but you want God's best for them. You love them enough and care about them enough to confront in the right way. So if God lays someone on your heart like that, if God is right now laying someone in your heart like that, or he will in the future, how how do we do this? How do we do it like Daniel, with love and respect and honor? How do we lovingly stand up and confront in that way? 
With the remainder of our time, I hope you'll write this down. I want to give you two thoughts in your notes. That we, I believe we need to apply some prayerful confrontation. That there's a couple of things we need to pray before we confront someone the way Daniel did. And it's based on what Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. This mirrors what Daniel did back in the book of Daniel. This is sort of the how-to manual of what Daniel lived out and how we can do it in our lives in a God-honoring way. And here's what Paul said. Dear brothers and sisters, who's he talking to there? Believers, Christ followers. If another believer is overcome by some what? Sin. Okay, we're not talking about preference here. We're talking about sin as clearly defined in the Bible. You who are godly or walking in a right relationship with God should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. That's exactly what Daniel was trying to do. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Let's unpack this verse a little bit with these two thoughts to, to apply some prayerful confrontation. First thing is this, we should pray this. God, you have this in your notes. God, help me to confront with the goal of restoration. God, help me to confront always with the goal of restoration. Remember what Paul said in Galatians that we just read. He said this, when we confront, we should do it how, church? Let's say it together. Gently and humbly help that person back on the right path. Gently and humbly, not harshly or arrogantly, like some people confront, but gently and humbly, because the goal is what? To get them back on the right path to God. The goal is always restoration. Listen, especially those of you that like confronting, you just look for people to confront. You enjoy this. You're like, preach it, Pastor Doug, as I'm doing this message. The goal when we confront someone is not that we're right and they're wrong. The goal is never for us to be right. It's for them to be right with God. That's the goal. Marriages, you need to hear that. Parents, you need to hear that. We all need to hear this. The goal is not I'm right, you're wrong. The goal is I want you to be right with God. That was Daniel's heart. You see, when we confront someone to get them back on the right path, we can make a point or we can make a difference. Let's make a difference. Let's help restore them into a right relationship with God. And and what I have found in my life is when Someone confronts me or I confront someone, approach matters, doesn't it? We've all had someone try to confront us about something uh, in our life that we didn't really know them. Um, We didn't really have a relationship with them. They didn't really know the context, and they try to confront us, and and, and we're all like, hey, talk to the hand. You know, I'm not going to listen to you. I don't have that kind of relationship but then sometimes there's people that we have a relationship with. There's, there's relationship equity there. We know they love us. They, we know they care about us. We know they want what's best. And they come in a gentle, loving, humble way. And we'll listen. We're more willing to listen to that. If you're with me, say yes, church. Uh, this is so true This in my life. I, I've mentioned this story before, but I want to mention it again. And it happened many years ago uh, when I became pastor of my first church in Indiana. The day after my 30th birthday. And I became pastor of this small church in, in Kokomo, Indiana. It sounds tropical. Believe me, it's not. It's about an hour north of Indianapolis. Uh, this church was about 40 years old at the time. The average age of people in that church was about 60, 65. And I'm 30, and now I'm their pastor. And I was young, and I was dumb, and I was stupid, and I was arrogant. Yes, I was. And I thought, man, i got to, you know, earn their respect and so, man, I, I had my suit and tie on, and, man, I'm preaching the Word of God, and waving my hanky and spits flying everywhere, and, man, I'm going to get these people right with God. 
and I'm preaching, and, and everything I said was true, and it was right, and it was biblical, but I was getting notes and letters and this and that, and what I, was, what I realized, what I realize now, but I, I didn't so much realize at the time, it took somebody lovingly confront me, was I was trying to play Holy Spirit in people's lives, and it's not my responsibility to play Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit if you know Jesus. My responsibility is to lovingly and graciously preach the truth of the word of God and let the Holy Spirit do his job. And when I realized that, I realized God's a lot better at straightening people out than I am. And so that was happening, and I remember one night I was talking to my wife, Shelly, and I was frustrated. I'd received some nasty note from somebody, and, and they were confronting me about some things that I had said. And, and I said, but everything I said, this is true. It's biblical. It's right. And, all that. She, and, and my wife, in her loving, gentle, sweet, caring way, she said, well, honey, can I tell you something? And I, I only tell you this because I love you. I don't want to help you. I want you to be the best pastor you can be and, and, and husband and spiritual leader. And I'm like, yeah. And she did it the right time, the right way. And she goes, you know, everything you say is right. Everything you say is true. It's not what you say. It's how you say it. And I heard that, and I began to change little by little the way I preached and the way I communicated and the way I talked to people. And, and you know, many, 20 years has gone by now, of full-time vocational ministry. That was a turning point in my life, and it was because my wife lovingly confronted me in a gentle and humble way, and it made all the difference in the world. I hope now, those of you that have been around Orchard Church for a while, 13 years I've been leading this church, I, I hope, believe it or not, um, that you have the better Pastor Doug, 2.0. <laughs> and, and I hope that as I say some of those things, you're like, whoa, I can't even imagine you being like that because God has worked in my life for 20 years. But I can take you back to a moment that somebody lovingly, gently, and humbly confronted me in the right way. Approach, approach matter, matters. So how, how do we prayerfully confront someone? We first say, God, help me to confront with the goal of restoration, getting someone on the right path. Here's the second way that we can prayerfully confront, by praying this, God, help me to confront with caution. Help me to confront with, with caution. What did Paul say in Galatians 6.1? And be what, church? And be careful, cautious when you confront, not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Because when we're confronting someone else, if we're not careful, I've seen this happen sometimes in my life, you know, hey, somebody's sinning, they're on the right, wrong path. When we confront, we're vulnerable to pride, aren't we? We can think that we're better than them or we're more spiritual or we've got it all together and they don't. I know that I've seen in, in my 25 years of full-time vocational ministry working with people, sometimes those people that are the most um, eager to confront other people about where they're wrong, it's because they're trying to cover some of their own sin in their own life. And I've seen it come out many times. Well, we need to confront with caution, prayerful caution. Jesus gave us some great advice about this. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 3 through 5, Jesus said this, And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, Let me help you get that speck out of your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? What's the next word, church? Let's say it together. Hypocrite. How many of you just love hypocrites? I didn't think so. Nobody loves a hypocrite. Nobody listens to a hypocrite. Nobody respects a hypocrite. So what does Jesus say? First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. We have to confront with caution, not pride. We should always confront with the character of Christ. Gently, humbly, lovingly, graciously, 
mercifully. That's the way we would want to be confronted. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And we have to be cautiously humble when we confront. We're not above them. We're not better than them. Listen, church, we're all below God. And we all have a lot of work to do, don't we? And so when we confront, we say, listen, I love you. I care about you. I want to help you. I've been there before. I've made this mistake before. Here's what God did in my life. This has happened to me or it might happen to me. But I love you and I want to see you restored. Let me caution some of you that, that, that may want to take this message and say, okay, man, I got, I got some ammunition now to confront somebody I need to confront. Pastor Doug said by sundown today to confront three people. No, I did not. That's not what I said. Because here's the problem. If we take this out, of, out, out to another extreme or out of context and out of balance, unfortunately, and this bothers me and I think it bothers some of you, too many Christians today are known for what they're against. I don't think as Christians we should be mainly known for what we're against. We should be known for what we're for. And we should stand up for what we're for. I don't want Orchard Church to be a church that's known for what we're against. I want Orchard Church to be known for what we're for and that we stand up for things we're for. We stand up for life change. We stand up for healing. We stand up for deliverance. We stand up for freedom. We stand up for restoration, redemption, reconciliation, for marriages and families and friends and relationships. That's what we're known for. And because of that, sometimes we have to lovingly confront somebody because we care that much about them, but we do it cautiously to make sure we don't fall into the same temptation because our mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. And sometimes that takes some loving confrontation. As we wrap this up this morning, Daniel lovingly stood up to the king. I would love to tell you that the king immediately dropped to his knees in repentance and said, man, let's take communion and sing our God is an awesome God. But you can read the rest of the story. That's not what happened. The prophecy came true. But here's what's interesting. It didn't immediately come true. Daniel confronted King Nebuchadnezzar about his sin, and God gave him one year of grace to get things turned around, and he didn't. And after one year... You can read about this. One night, King Nebuchadnezzar is walking around in his palace, in his castle, and he's looking at his kingdom, and he's bragging about all that he's done, and God had to get his attention, and God had to humble him. God knows how to do that. In seven years, he was like a wild animal banished from his kingdom. When you confront someone, if, if God leads me to confront someone in a loving, gentle way, there's two possible responses. Sometimes it's immediate, and it makes a difference. Sometimes, just like it did with King Nebuchadnezzar, it takes time. And we need to give people the time that's necessary for God to work in their life. It probably took time for you. I know it took time for me. You see, when God prompts us through the Holy Spirit like he did Daniel to lovingly confront someone to help them get back right with God, our responsibility is not the outcome. It's the obedience that God has called us to do. We're not responsible for what they do with it. And because Daniel lovingly and humbly and gently confronted the king, and trusted God with the results, even though it took eight years. Here's what the Bible says in verse 34, Daniel 4, 34. After this time had passed, eight years, I, King Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven, my sanity returned, and I, let's say it together, church, praised and worshiped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. His life was turned around. Do you think that would have ever happened if Daniel had never stood up to him? Nope, it wouldn't have. 
And you know, this is very near and dear to my heart as we wrap this up this morning because it was about almost 30 years ago now, I would say, 1990, in the summer of 1990, that two people lovingly, humbly, gently confronted me. I grew up in a Christian home. I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior when I was eight years old on July 4th, 1976. I was called into full-time vocational ministry to be a pastor when I was in middle school, and I surrendered to that call. I turned 16. I got a car. I got a job. I got a girlfriend. I got out of church. And for six years, I did my own thing my own way, and I made a bunch of mistakes, and I ran for God, from God. After my senior year at the University of Oklahoma in the summer, and my life was a mess, I didn't know what I was going to do. My mom, who turned 89 last week, and my youth director growing up, who was my youth pastor for seven years, both lovingly confronted me about the direction of my life. They did it in a loving, caring, humble, and gentle way, and I knew they loved me and they cared about me. And that, and through some other circumstances, turned my life around, and I went into full-time ministry and obeyed God. If that confrontation, those confrontations with people that cared about me and loved me, if that wouldn't have happened, I can tell you, Orchard Church, God is my witness. I would not be standing on this stage today, and none of us would be here. That's how powerful this is. And I look back, and I thank God for somebody that loved me enough and cared enough about me to say, we want you to be right with God. Why, why do we lovingly confront? Why do we stand up? Not so we can be right, but so that we can help people be right with God. And we want the best for their life. Father, may we apply this, these truths to our life, even though they're challenging, even though they're difficult. May we do this for your honor and glory, for our good and the good of others. So we continue an attitude of prayer right now, heads bowed and eyes closed. I know this is a tough message, but I believe with all my heart as I was speaking, you were hearing God's word, the Holy Spirit of God was working in some of your hearts today. And, and God brought someone to your heart today that you need to have a crucial conversation with. You need to confront in a loving, gentle, gentle and humble way to see them restored with with God in a right relationship with God. There's somebody you know you need to talk to. It might be a spouse, it might be a kid, it might be a friend. But it may be another family member. And if God has laid that person on your heart today with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'd like to pray for you that you would apply this message and have the boldness to do what God is leading you to do and trust God with the outcome. If that's you today, if you know right now there's somebody God has, has been laying on your heart as this message has been, been brought, would you slip up your hand for prayer all across this auditorium? God bless you, God bless you. Thank you, thank you. Hands everywhere. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that as you have brought these people to our hearts and minds that we would be obedient Outcome is your responsibility. Lord, obedience is ours. You give them the courage. You give them the strength to follow Daniel's example. And that you use it for good to restore people in a right relationship with you. So continue an attitude of prayer. Maybe God didn't bring someone to your heart and mind immediately, but maybe he will. You'll remember this message. It might be tomorrow. It might be next week. It might be next month. It might be next year. But how many of you as Christ followers would at least be willing to say, you know what? If God prompts me through the Holy Spirit to talk to somebody I love and care about and confront them to help them be right with God, I'm, I'm going to be willing to apply this. I'm going I'm to allow the Spirit to lead me in this area of my life. If that's you, if that's your heart, would you slip up your hand all across the auditorium? Amen. God bless you. Thank you for your, your faith and your honesty. God, help us to be doers of your word and not just hearers only as you give us uh, those opportunities. You point those out with the goal of restoration with those around us that we love and care about. As we continue an attitude of prayer with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, when I was eight years old, I was sitting in a service like this and for the first time I listened to the message and 
The Spirit of God spoke to me and God confronted me about my sin and that my sin had separated me from a holy God. And then unless I invited Jesus into my life who died on the cross 2,000 years ago to pay for my sins, then I would be separated from God for all eternity. And that day I said yes to Jesus and I invited him into my life as Lord and Savior when I was confronted with my sin. It's a decision that I've never, ever regretted. Even though there was a season in my life where I moved away from God, God never moved away from me. God never Stop pursuing me. And if you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, I want to as, as gently and humbly and lovingly as I can let you know that the Bible says we have all sinned and fallen short of a relationship with God and that the wages, the payment of our sin is death. That's the bad news. But here's the good news. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I would love to introduce you to my best friend Jesus today. If that's you today and you'd say, you know, God's working in my life. I know it's time. God is confronting me with my sin and my being separated from God. I don't want that to happen any longer. I want to invite Jesus into my life. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I want to give you an opportunity right now to call on the Lord through a simple prayer. I'm going to pray it out loud in just a moment. I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me. It's not a magic prayer. These aren't magic words we say, but if it comes from a heart of faith and belief, you can invite Jesus into your life today. Your sins can be forgiven, and you can have a relationship with Jesus and know you have a home in heaven for all eternity. If that's you today, you know who you are. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I invite you to pray this prayer with me from your heart to God's. And it goes like this. Jesus, I believe in you. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I'm saying yes to you today. Yes, be my Lord. Yes, be my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Thank you. Thank you. As we continue an attitude of prayer with heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment, if you just prayed that prayer, it's the most important decision you could ever make. I, I, I don't want to embarrass you. I never want to do that. But I would love the privilege and honor to pray for you that you grow in your walk and relationship with Jesus from this day forward. So without anybody else looking around, I'm going to count to three. If you prayed that prayer, just slip up your hand so I can pray for you. One, two, three. Lift them up nice and high all across the auditorium. Yes, thank you. Right back here. Yes, thank you. Right back over here. God bless you. Right over here. Thank you. Yes, I see a hand over here. Thank you. Right here. Two couple of hands here in the middle. Uh, yes, God bless you on my right. God bless you over here. Thank you. Thank you. Let's lift them up in prayer. Father, we thank you and praise you for those saying yes to you today. Thank you that you loved us enough to confront our sin that separated us from you and that you gave us an opportunity to say yes to your son, Jesus, so we could have our sins forgiven, a home in heaven, and a walk in a relationship with you. And Lord, we welcome those uh, that have said yes to you today into the family of God as our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we celebrate with the angels in heaven where a party has broke out right now for all those saying yes. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.